Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name is Frank and let's get cracking. So today's episode is going to be an episode which delves into the experiences of one particular individual who has had the experiences that you could describe as being non-ambiguous. Peter Whitley never considered himself to be a particularly spiritual person or even particularly interested in this topic, even after having a series of abduction experiences which initially were quite terrifying. Eventually, years down the line, out of curiosity, Peter started to delve into the topic and eventually took part in a course at the Monroe Institute. And after refining the process learned during this course, he found himself with the ability to be able to use his consciousness to communicate with entities and even travel via astral projection on board non-human craft. Now, some might consider people who claim to have had experiences of this kind, going on board craft, interacting with entities, to be a little out there, for want of a better way of putting it. But I am fascinated by these accounts, and if we are to consider the possibility of non-human intelligence having craft operating in our skies, and we also consider aspects like high strangeness and non-local consciousness, is it really a stretch to consider whether or not humans can actually interact with these entities and perhaps through using consciousness in a specific way that, that may be a means to operate on a level which is perhaps more normal to these others. So there are some definite extraordinary aspects to the experiences of the individual I'll be speaking to today, Peter Whitley, but I would encourage you to have an open mind. As with all my guests who are experiences themselves, I won't be probing harshly, trying to uncover what's true and what's not and so forth. Given the sensitive nature of these experiences, the approach I take is to allow people to have a platform to tell their account of what happened and you as a listener can make up your own mind as what you think of it and, and take from that what you will. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation I had with Peter Whitley. Okay, so I'd like to introduce to the show today... Peter Whitley. How are you doing today, Peter? I'm doing great, Frank. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. So you've had some absolutely extraordinary experiences in your life, including um, abduction experiences, using astral travel to interact with entities, and uh, and much, much more, which I'm fascinated uh, to hear all about. Um, but if, if you don't mind, Peter, can we just wind the clock back a little bit to before all of that kind of began uh, for a little bit of background on, on yourself. So did you have any strange experiences as a child, like growing up? And did you have an interest in UFOs before your experiences began? Sure. Um, you know, I wouldn't say I was particularly interested in UFOs before the experiences began. Um, when, when I became an adult, I could reflect upon my early childhood, like, you know, between the ages of, say, five and um, my teenage years, and identify some high strangeness. 
But um, before I was an adult, I thought nothing of it. I didn't recognize those for what they were. Um, but the first time I ever actually understood something odd was happening to me was when I was 17 years old. Um, at that time, one night when I was going to bed, I was laying down in my bed. I had, my bedroom was in the basement of my family home. And this was in um, the United States, Washington State, uh, relatively rural, small town, um, lying down to go to sleep. And a blue light came in through the closed window of my bedroom. This blue light triangulated upon my bed. It pinpointed to approximately my torso, where I was in the bed. And so I looked at this light, and as I was looking at this blue light, um, two small entities suddenly appeared at the triangulation point of the blue light. Um, now it was really dark. Um, the only illumination was that blue light. Um, so the entities didn't have a lot of color to them. It was difficult to discern, you know, what they looked like. But, um, you know, they were more or less what we would call small grays. One of them, as they appeared, you know, um, one of them was facing me. One of them was facing what would be my bedroom door. And it looked like the one had his attention on me. The other looked to be headed towards the bedroom door for some reason. Now, I was awake. I was wide awake. And the interesting thing about this was as soon as they appeared, I could intuitively tell both of these entities were surprised I was awake. It, there was like a telepathic, a two-way feeling, just a free flow of um, emotional connection there, if you will, where I could tell they were surprised that I was awake. So, um, you know, you can imagine you're um, a teenager, you wake up, you've got two weird little uh, aliens right showing up next to your bed you're gonna freak the hell out right and i did yeah. <laughs> yeah i did so my reaction was to try to jump up and get the heck out of there so it all happened in a split second i tried to jump out of bed um now as i jumped Half of my body was able to get off the bed, but I froze. I can only assume that they did something to freeze me. So I was frozen in kind of a physically impossible position whereby half of my body was off the bed and, you know, just kind of by... Um, the side half of my body was still touching the bed. I was frozen there. Couldn't move at all. No feeling. Um, 
tried to scream. I couldn't scream or anything like that. Uh, just absolutely terrified. Um, at that point, um, myself and the two entities floated out the bedroom through my bedroom window. The bedroom window, as I mentioned, was closed. Um, I also had some blinds, which were down. We, the three of us, now, um, I'm a physical being. I assumed they were, but I can't say for certain. Um, we physically went through the blinds and the glass. So we traveled through the window out into the backyard um, where this light continued up towards what I could vaguely sense was a craft, but didn't really get a look at, given my positioning. And at that point, I blacked out whether due to fear or due to their um, intervention. So, like I said, this was conscious. This was a conscious memory. I was awake at the time. Um, the next morning, of course, when I woke up, first thing, I first, you know, first thing, you know, was like, holy shit, um, what happened? So I jumped out of bed and I ran upstairs where my mother would always uh, be waiting, you know, reading the newspaper, my father, my mother. And I told my mother, I said, you know, um, I think I said something to the effect of, yeah, I, uh, some aliens took me last night or something like that. You know, I didn't know much about the subject other than maybe what I'd seen on a couple of television shows. Um, like I said, I wasn't really interested in it. And, um, and she said, yo, he just had a bad dream. And, um, you know, I was kind of adamant, you know, no, it wasn't a bad dream. But, you know, I wasn't going to make a big deal of it. So I ate my breakfast, went on with life, and carried on. So that was the first time I ever experienced something where I was certain I had encountered something from beyond. That was at the age of 17. Now, let if, if I may, let me fast forward to the second encounter because it's yeah, closely sure. if it's closely related. And then I can answer any questions you have. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, great. Okay. So let's fast forward about six months. I've had my 18th birthday. Um, I'm 18 years old now still in high school, um, same bedroom, et cetera, et cetera. Now, this time, in the middle of the night, I awaken. And I awaken upon what seems to be, I'm, I'm inside a strange place. I'm laying down to the right of me is what I now know to be a tall gray. Um, 
I'd like to pause for a second and clarify something about this experience. Um, so I think the obvious question here is, you know, before we go any further, how do you know this wasn't a dream, right? So I something I've, and it's a very, very good question. There are things such as sleep paralysis, um, you know, even nightmares, a variety of things that people can misidentify as um, um, encounters. Um, I live in Japan. I've lived here for 15 years now. Um, as many people know, there are um, Japan um, lies on various fault lines. We have um, earthquakes on occasion. Um, in the course of a year, we'll have several relatively small but noticeable earthquakes in the middle of the night. Um, these earthquakes will wake you up. You'll wake up for a brief moment. The room will be shaking. You'll be in the twilight of your sleep. It'll happen for a few seconds. You'll immediately go back to sleep. Now, You'll wake up the next morning. You'll know the earthquake occurred. You'll know that was real. There's a qualitative difference for most of us that do not suffer from sleep disorders, etc., etc., between dreams and things that happen to us consciously in the middle of the night. This was one of those instances, and I knew the difference at that time. You know, this was, I, you know, this was kind of that line in the sand where I recognized that difference. So I knew at the time this is real. I awoke, and like I said, there was a. I was lying down. There was a tall gray to my right. Again, I could sense intuitively as soon as I saw him, he was surprised I was awake. Um, now, unlike before, this tall gray, he communicated with me telepathically, not in words, but in ideas, if you will, um, or feelings, or just thoughts, pure thoughts, pure communication. Um, the communication was, in his hand, he had roughly a 12-inch, uh, what appeared to be metallic, gray, silver, metallic rod, roughly the diameter of a pencil. Um, there was nothing on either end. It was completely even in diameter all the way along its length. He communicated to me that he was going to insert that rod into my right ear. He told me it wouldn't hurt. He told me when he was finished that I would go back to sleep and that um, I wouldn't remember it. And then he proceeded to put that roughly 12-inch long, thin rod into my right ear. Um, it seems physically impossible you know my head's not that big but he did insert that entire rod into my right ear 
to its credit, he didn't lie to me. It didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. I felt nothing. I was again terrified. The entire time I was terrified. If I could have screamed, I would have screamed. I could not move whatsoever. Um, my eyes were focused on him. Um, I could not look around the room or my attention was simply focused on him. I'm not sure which is which. I'm not sure if I had any control over my eyes at all. But my my attention was solely focused on him and this object, um, this rod. He put it in my ear. He retracted it. He did not tell me why he did so or what the purpose of this was. He took it out of my ear. And then, as he had mentioned before, he said, okay, you're going to go back to sleep. And I did. I blacked out. Again, first thing the next morning, immediately, what happened? Oh, my God. I jumped out of bed. Um, there was a bathroom right outside my bedroom door um, in that house. First thing I did was um, go into that bathroom and look in the mirror kind of in vain, you know, at my right ear. And I, you can't really look, see, look in your ear unless you have a, <laughs> a complex mirror system, which I did not have at the time. I did gingerly put um, uh, my, uh, my index finger into my ear and just kind of swirl it around. And there was a, a small, tiny bit of dried blood on the finger, um, which sounds really odd, I think, to, to most people. And it, it, it sounded odd to me at the time. It seemed odd to me. I had a hard time understanding why that would be the case if there's some sort of high tech or like a spaceship comes down and has some sort of crazy technology. Why would there be blood? You know, why would there be blood? Right. But after, you know, after over a decade as a UFO researcher, I now know that a lot of experiencers do in fact have physical after effects such as dried blood or marks and stuff. Anyways, I found a small bit of dried blood in my ear. Again, went upstairs. Same thing, <laughs> told my mother, it happened again. And told her what happened again. You had another nightmare, Pete. And I wasn't one to argue and try to make my case. So those were the two instances that happened to me when I was a teenager. The two things that happened to me uh, before I became an adult, or as a very, very young adult. First two things that happened. Within the phenomenon, yeah, super. Sorry to go on so long. Yeah, no, that that's perfect, man. I, I really like getting the the full unfiltered version of, of of exactly how you want to put it across. So that's great, and thanks for going into so much detail, and and thanks for sharing in general. Um, My pleasure. 
But yeah, in terms of the the questions, I was making a couple of little notes as you were talking there. Um, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned that the first experience when you were um, seventeen, is that right? Um, yeah. You you said you caught a, a brief a glimpse of some kind of thing, which may have been a craft. Um, did you did you manage to kind of get any shape of what 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 the craft was, or any colours in particular, or any details about how it looked, or was it just kind of a real glimpse for a split no. second? No, in fact, I would say it was perhaps even more of a sense or a shadow than a glimpse of the craft itself. Mm. Um, later on, at, at when uh, years later, maybe seven years later, roughly, I did see a craft itself. But yeah, that's and when I was seventeen. It was like a vague sense or a shadow that I saw. Um, it's, it's difficult because like I said, there's a very free form telepathic style, open communication you have with these entities. So it's almost as if what you're feeling and thinking they sense and vice versa to a large extent. So it's almost as if, if they're looking at something, I might pick on up on it myself, even though I'm not looking at it my not not looking at it with my own eyes. So it it was more of a sense or a feeling than any any yeah concrete detail. Mm. Yeah, good question. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to to think what what type of shape of craft it, it may have been, but I suppose yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a mystery, isn't it? And another yeah. thing I was going to ask you is, is you mentioned that the first experience was with small greys, and then the second mm-hmm. time it was actually is actually a tall grey. Um, mm-hmm. And what how did how did you kind of what did you make of that at the time? Did you think oh it was different entities, or did you feel like they were related in some way? Or did it make sense to you that they were different? You know, at the time, I didn't care enough, to be honest with you. That sounds, that probably might might sound strange to some people. It might not. But um, honestly, those two events, as terrifying as they were, as odd as they were, and as convinced I were and still am that they were 100% physically real. They still did not spark my interest in the phenomenon to any extent. Um, for years and years afterwards, um, if the topic of UFOs or aliens would come up, I'd be the first one that would be like, yo, I've been abducted by aliens twice, Right. I would say this just to friends or people that I would talk to. You know, I remember being when I can college, you know, you know, at parties and stuff, you know, being like, I've been abducted and people like, no way. I'm like, no, I'm serious. But I I never bothered to I, I, I wasn't interested so much. It was just something that happened to me. And so I never even I didn't know the terminology. I just tell people, yeah, two small aliens took me the first time. And then the second time I saw a taller one. So I didn't even connect the two. I didn't really care so much. It sounds odd, but that's just the truth. It just was something that happened to me. 
Mm. Do you think there was an element of it where it's like, you know, to the average person who's not familiar with the topic, it would be quite difficult to convince them that this wasn't something you've experienced in a dream. So just the sheer difficulty of actually getting this across to somebody, you know, could have played a part in why you sort of didn't really take it on that much. That most that you know, Frank. That's that's such that that's such a great that that's such a great insight. I think I think you're exactly right. I think you're exactly right. I think I probably tried to convince a good handful of people enough times, and it just fallen on deaf ears or ridicule. And it's not. It, it didn't. You know, I, I'm not the kind of person that's gonna be ashamed or get bummed out or embarrassed if people don't believe me. But yeah, like it, I think you're exact. That's exactly it. It just wasn't worth the effort for me. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. I just decided. You know, I'm not gonna really bother trying to figure it out. You know, people don't believe me. Don't believe me. Whatever. You know. Yeah. Exactly. That's mm-hmm. a great point. I never thought of it like that. But I think you're exactly right. Oh, fantastic! So yeah. obviously, as as you've gone along, you you ended up getting involved quite quite deeply in, in the, the UFO topic. So what what was the kind of the turning point that, that led you towards getting more involved then down the line? Mm-hmm. Um, well, so when I graduated from university, um, I came to Japan for a year, just um, kind of on a whim. And I really loved Japan, but I'd studied in university to be a counselor. And I wanted to go back to America to kind of fly my trade. So I went back to America for five years to do that. Um, During my time back in the States, um, I continued to have a series of um, high strangeness experiences. Um, I did not have any further conscious abductions. I want to be very, very, as, as I'm, you know, I'm a m- member of MUFON. I'm the national director of MUFON for Japan. I'm a member of the MUFON Experiencer Resource Team. I try to be very clear and differentiate between odd things that happen to me and instances where I believe I can say with a shirt, um, with a, you know, assuredly that I was quote abducted or I had an experience. So during those five years, a variety of high strangeness uh, happened. I did see a craft once. I was driving along a highway in Washington State Highway 101 and saw a um, saw a large typical um, silver illuminated disc-like flying saucer off the side of the road next to a feed store, um, maybe 25 feet off the ground, shining a light onto the ground. It just looked like something out of a movie. It was like a Spielberg production, except it was the, you know, it was maybe 11 p.m. I would like, I, I, I used to travel, I like to travel at night. In fact, I would be compelled to travel at night which I won't go into, but I think I'd chalk that up to high strangeness as well. I pulled over, pulled my car over, got out of the car, left the door open, took a few steps toward that UFO. And um, the next thing I knew is I woke up at my destination the next morning. 
that was probably the most um, concrete example of high strangeness during those five years I could give you. Even that, however, didn't really set me off on the road towards becoming an investigator. Um, Once I moved to Japan, uh, I was here for about a year, year and a half, two. Um, I saw a children's art exhibition. At this art exhibition, there was a poster a child had drawn. And on that poster, it was drawn with crayon, painted with, you know, finger paints. That child had drawn a UFO with a gray alien inside it. And for some reason on that day, when I looked at that poster, something inside me snapped. And I looked at that. And then it hit me. All these things that have happened to me, I should really try to get to the bottom of it. I should try to figure out, or I mean, I know I'm not going to get to the bottom. I'm not going to solve it. I'm not the guy that's going to crack the case, but I should try to figure out more about it. And so here's how naive I was. I went home after looking at that poster. This is just 14 years ago or something, you know, 13, 14 years ago. I came home, you know, and I get on Amazon and literally my line of thinking is I'm going to see if anyone's written a book about UFOs. I'm that naive. I'm a dude that's been abducted by aliens twice, seen a UFO and I'm, and I'm getting on the internet. Has anyone written a book about UFOs? That's how stupid I am, Frank. So no, so of course I get on there, and you know, there's you know, okay, there's sixteen thousand four hundred and thirty-two books on UFOs. L- luckily, yeah. uh, luckily, at that point, there are there had already been quite a few books written about what I, in my in particular, was interested um, the phenomenon of alien abduction, and so I picked up a book on uh, one of the. Uh, more um, more famous books at the time. It was, um, I believe the book was um, uh, John Mack's Missing Time. Not John, John, I apologize. Bud Hopkins, Bud Hopkins' Missing Time. Picked up Bud Hopkins' Missing Time and read it. And um, the book blew my mind because just... It, it, the things his the things he described the witnesses he had interviewed described i mean just were exactly what i had seen you know people described those blue lights they described you know long things being placed inside there you know ears or noses it it, it fit you know it was i was like wow there's thousands of us and since that day, it's been just my obsession. And so then I went on to join MUFON. And ever since, I've been, you know, a big, uh, yeah, big UFO, you know, uh, extraterrestrial. Just it's my passion now. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. And like I say, really good to kind of get that 
you know, the timeline of how all these things unfolded. Um, so yeah. another another area I really wanted to ask you about is, um, if I'm getting this right, you, you at some point down the line, you enrolled on a, a course at the Monroe Institute. Is that is that correct? Indeed, yes, yes. So, this, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, so so how how did that come about? I'm guessing that was after you'd already kind of taken the plunge into the, the UFO topic, after you'd read that book and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, afterwards, and I was already um, in the, I was already a MUFON member, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this was, I guess, boy, it was probably almost two years ago now. Um, and so I'll rewind a little bit just for some background. Um, I'm, a, you know, I'm a certified hypnotherapist. I never got the chance to practice hypnotherapy. Um when I was in the States, although I did become certified in it, I do use hypnosis on myself. Um, I've used it for, boy, 20 years or more, actually more. Um, I was using it actually before I became a certified hypnotherapist. I love hypnosis. It's a wonderful tool. Um, and I basically, personally, I used, I've used it just, you know, for the typical things for relaxation, um, for um, uh, breaking bad habits, for um, encouraging good habits, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, I'm a firm believer in hypnosis as a valuable um, therapy tool, just as a relaxation tool and a tool for self improvement. Um, it's my meditation hypnosis. Uh, so, a couple of years ago. Um, I kind of got bored with hypnosis, if you will, um, because, like I said, I've been doing it for like two decades. And so um, there's only there's only so, for me, there's only so far I could go with it, right? Like, I mean, you know, it... I do it almost every day or I was doing it. There was only so much, you know, relaxation I could get. There's only so much self-confidence I can build, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted to explore hypnosis adjacent areas. One thing I found was the Monroe Institute and the Gateway Experience, right? Which is, um, if anyone's not familiar with it, the Gateway Experience is designed to eventually lead one to um, purposeful um, out-of-body experiences, develop the ability to perform out-of-body experiences. Um, now, I didn't know if such a thing was possible, but I was intrigued. So I did. Now, I live in Japan. Unfortunately, I can't travel to America. I would love to. But this was during COVID, the height of COVID, or actually now, I guess, maybe the height again, arguably. But this was, of course, during COVID. I couldn't travel to America, so I purchased their CD program so I could practice on my own. What I found, and this is just my personal opinion, um, I found that I... that. Uh, the Gateway Experience and Robert Monroe, um, in my opinion, I believe that it uses a lot of hypnotic techniques. They put a 
a big emphasis on their hemi-sync technology, which is binaural beats. And I do believe that's helpful, but there is a lot of hypnotic language and hypnotic techniques along with it. So I went through the Gateway Experience program, and um, it's an excellent program. I want to give the late, great Dr. Monroe all the credit in the world. He was the absolute pioneer in the out-of-body experience, the application of it, the practice of it. Um, The Monroe Institute does a great job of maintaining and carrying on his legacy. Um, I found the program a little slow. It's probably just because I've been doing hypnosis for so long. However, it was effective. Towards the end of the program, I saw that yes, it is possible. I believe due to the fact I've been using hypnosis for so long, it was very easy at that point for me to achieve the out-of-body experience with the gateway experience. So the first thing I thought, as soon as I got towards the end of the program, and I realized, okay, I can do this. You know, I achieved it. I'm going to use this to visit UFOs. That was all I could think of. I, you know, that was it. It's like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to use astral projection, the out-of-body experience, and go up there and try to talk to these guys on my own terms. Because as we as we were, you know, as we went over, it was certainly not on my own terms before. And perhaps if I can get up there astrally, things can be a bit different. And so I did. And like I said, the gateway experience was a bit slow for me. I kind of, so I built upon the techniques Dr. Monroe taught. Um, I used some hypnotic techniques that I had kind of um, that others had taught me, you know, in the past, kind of mixed them together to make a what I considered to be a little simpler form, um, at least um, for someone who's comfortable with hypnosis like myself, and developed my own little kind of audio program, my own little the way to do it. And so I put it together all together, a little 30-minute, you know, um, guided audio thing. And I went in the back at lunch one day, decided to give it a shot. Okay, let's try this. So I put myself under and it worked. I put myself under, I got out of body. Um, my intention was to visit a UFO. I exited the body. I did, um, I did what I call, uh, um, a clear check where I made sure that I was out of the body. I checked my watch. I checked the, um, you know, astrally. I checked the room, et cetera, et cetera, to make sure that I was not dreaming and make sure that I was lucid and awake. Um, my intention was to visit the UFO. Boom. I appeared inside the UFO. There was a gray waiting to see me. It was effective. It worked. This was last year. In 2021, and that started a series of 40 
individual sessions last year of astral projection where I visited UFOs in 2021. Um, exactly 40 sessions last year I conducted. Um, almost every time I tried last year, it was effective. I believe there was once, perhaps twice, where I fell asleep or I may have astrally projected and just forgotten, which is possible. Once or twice, um, I was unable to remember what happened. But exactly 40 sessions occurred where I journaled immediately afterwards. Um, this year, I have taken up the practice again. I'm in the process of journaling those as well. Yeah. So that's something I've been doing. Yeah. That's super fascinating. We'll, we'll get into a little bit about some of the experiences you've had during those, you know, 40 um, in, encounters, I guess you could call them. But just mm -hmm. quickly, just to kind of sure. clarify a little bit about what um, the, the astral projection, is that the, the correct term you would use, yes, astral projection? Yeah, I prefer the term astral projection if it is a conscious application of technique where you are attempting to exit the body, I prefer the term astral projection. I think that is more accurate. I think out-of-body experience is fine, but I do think, I think out-of-body experience maybe might be a, perhaps, perhaps better used as a larger term the entire phenomenon, which could go on to also include people who spontaneously have the experience of these experiences. There are natural projectors, you might say, or people that accidentally have out-of-body experiences. You know, some people might even wrap up um, near-death experiences with out-of-body experiences. So I, for, personally, to be precise, I prefer the term astral projection, but it depends. I think the community at large prefers the term astral projection. Mm. It's, it's not an area that I'm like an expert in by any stretch, but my sort of understanding of astral projection, and you can obviously correct me if I'm wrong here because you know a lot more about it than I do. Um, mm -hmm. But my, my kind of layman's understanding of it is that basically if you think of the idea of non-local consciousness, so there's an aspect of your consciousness which exists outside of your physical body, um, is it correct to say that the astral projection is essentially a way to be more kind of in tune with the the non-local part of your consciousness and almost switch off the the local part which is confined to your body and then you can then take that non-local part and travel to places and do things that perhaps your 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 trapped consciousness which is in your body couldn't do how close am i to the mark there Frank, you nailed it, dude. You <laughs> okay. Dude, you, you know way more than you think you do. You completely nailed it. That's so succinct 
and nice and perfect. I couldn't have said it better myself, man. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. it yes, yes. In fact, there's a, um, there's a, who said it? Gosh, I'm trying to think who said it. It may have been Tom Campbell who wrote My Big Toe. Um, I have my deepest apologies to the author who said this, but someone said in regards to astral projection, you need to go in before you go out. And that's exactly what you're referring to, right? It's like you need to go in and escape all of these distractions. You need to go in, escape the ego, access that non-local universal consciousness. When you can access that, you can travel astrally precisely fantastic well yeah good to know i'm, I'm on the right lines with it then <laughs> sounds like i totally are yeah yeah so so uh, i'm also uh, really intrigued by the whole process that you go through because it sounds like you've like you say you've had a, a real um background in you know self-hypnosis and you've sort of done your own custom version of the techniques that you've learned from the Monroe Institute and also your own. So can you go into a little bit about like what your process basically consists of to be able to bring about this, this astral uh, projection experience? Yeah, absolutely. It's very, very simple. You know, there's no secret to it. You know, I don't have a patent on what I do or anything like that. And I don't sell anything. So I'm happy to talk about it. And later on, I can direct people to my website where I detail it for free. You know, exactly. Basically, what I do is I do a typical hypnotic induction where you start at the feet and you do a gradual gradual from the feet all the way up to the head relaxation process of the body okay next what i do is i do once your body is completely relaxed i do an opening of the chakras okay now two years ago frank i didn't believe in chakras this was like, yeah, I didn't believe in astral projection. I didn't believe in chakras. A lot of things have changed after I was introduced to the gateway experience and astral projection. But I do an opening of the chakras from the crown to the root, okay? And that prepares me for the projection process, okay? Once I have opened the chakras, I do a further deepening of the induction state. Okay, I go deeper into my subconscious. Another hip, basically another layer of hypnotic induction where I go further into my subconscious. Okay, <clears throat> excuse me, pardon me. After that, so basically, one hypnotic induction, induction, opening the chakras, one more induction, and then I vibrate the chakras from the root chakra to the head chakra, okay? As I vibrate the chakras from the root to the head, I'm actively trying to pull 
my astral form out of my body, okay? So being completely, completely relaxed, that's why I use two hypnotic inductions, right? Completely relaxed is integral to this process, right? I start at the feet as I vibrate that root chakra. I'm using mental techniques to try to get my astral feet out of my physical feet, right? So by the time I've vibrated that root chakra, my legs are all right, my astral legs are out of my body, right? All the way up to the crown. By the time I get to the crown, the crown for me personally is the hardest part, but it's not that, to be, to be quite honest, I'm almost always successful. At the crown, at the crown, by the time I get to the crown, I just pull real tight. I personally hear a snap when the crown chakra snap, when my astral body completely snaps out. I hear a snap. It pops out and I'm floating above my physical body. I do a clear check. Just That's my own personal term. So I'll, I always lay down when I do it. It's personal preference. I take off watch or any electronic devices, take my phone out, etc., etc. My eyes are closed. I have headphones in, noise canceling, earphones. My eyes are closed. I always, at this point, as I'm floating above the body, I always look around the room that I'm in. I look to see what is the position of my phone, for example. Where is the chair? Where is my watch? Is there a box of tissues here? I look around the room. What is here? What is there? Where is my body? Um, there is a couple of reasons for that. Um, one reason is when I come back and wake up, I want to check. I want to clarify. I want to check. Is my watch upside down like I thought it was? It is. Oh, look, it is, right? Is it really? Is it, it, did I really, you know, move that box of tissues? Oh, I did. Look, I did really move it, right? I want to check. I want, I want a little bit of verification, right? A little bit of verification, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. At the same time, though, at the same time, though, it also makes me more comfortable in the astral. It makes me more comfortable to see that my physical body is there. Right. To mm -hmm. see that my physical body's there to keep, you know, you're never astral projection is not dangerous. You're never at risk of being stuck in the astral. You can come back at any time. If someone were to tap you on the shoulder or to open the door loudly, make a loud sound. If your phone were to ring in all likelihood, the illusion or the, the illusion is the wrong word, but the quote spell would be broken. You would immediately snap out of it, right? The only risk you might run is if you don't set an alarm or use some sort of timed um, audio track. You can possibly lose track of time while in the astral because time does not operate on the same principles up there. That's why I usually use audio tracks, which pull me out and activate a closure process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's really fascinating. And um, well, definitely, uh, if I remember, I'll get your uh, your website, as you said, so that the listeners sure. can go go check that out. In, in fact, uh, what what is the website? We may as well do that now, just so I don't forget. Sure. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'll I'll give you two different titles. The website itself is called eisenprojection.com, which is A-I-Z-E-N, projection.com. Or you could also go to my name, P-E-T-E-W-H-I-T-L-E-Y.org. Same website. Yep, I've got it all written there. It's all free. Fantastic. Perfect. Really, really good. So going back to the first time that you were actually successful with this, you said that you came across uh, an entity, which was basically a gray. Just curious, was that um, a small gray or a tall gray? That was a small gray the first time. Yeah. Small gray. So can you go into a little bit about the things that you actually experienced during these, uh, the, these experiences once you, once you figured out you could do it? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So I'll give you a rough overview at first. And then maybe like we can maybe um, I'll just you can ask me some questions where you'd like to go with it. Okay, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Cool. So in 2021, 40 sessions, I as far as I can tell, I was on two separate ships. Okay. One of the ships um, was inhabited by what we know as the gray aliens. For the most part, my contact was limited to three individual entities on this gray ship. Okay. Um, two small grays. One of them was masculine. One of them was feminine. Now they in appearance-wise, physically, they are identical. However, they exude what I can only describe as a slight masculine and slight feminine air. Um, on occasion, they will wear um, almost like a um, holographic, holographic-like um clothing like glasses or something which is really off-putting and i would usually tell them to turn it off because it was like i said it's really odd um and also one tall gray the tall gray was also masculine the other ship that i visited during these 40 sessions was a mantis inhabited ship on that ship i interacted with two mantis entities um, they were less obviously, quote, masculine or feminine. Um, so I, I couldn't really tell you, but one, now one of the mantis entities was tan with a square jaw. The other mantis entity was green with a sharp jaw like a typical mantis here on earth so overall 40 sessions for two ships that i'm it seemed to be two separate ships one inhabited by mantis entities one inhabited by gray entities and i interacted for the most part with 
five separate entities, three grays, two mantises. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's just so, so fascinating. I mean, did you get a sense when you were going back to these craft and you were interacting with these, um, did you say two small greys and, and one tall grey? Did you mm-hmm. get a sense that it was the same entities each time? And did you Absolutely. also get a, did you get a sense that they were the same two small greys and tall grey that you interacted with when you were younger? Oh, no, I did not. A hundred percent, I could tell immediately. I can tell immediately that they are the same entities, um, like the same two small greys, you know, each time or the same tall grey. I can individually recognize them just intuitively. There's, yeah. like I said, um, like, for example, those two small greys, if they were, if they don't have some dumb, goofy disguise on holographically or whatever, I couldn't tell them apart in the lineup. But there's like a feeling there. Um, now, I do not believe they are the same entities that I encountered um, in my, quote, in real life, if you will, or physically rather than astrally. Mm-hmm. But they did refer, they have referred to my in real life. Um, abduction encounters on occasion they've referred to those encounters yeah but you it's there's a intuitive feeling as soon as i arrive and i see one of them i know immediately that this is the small masculine or this is the small feminine yeah immediately i can tell absolutely i should also say that that this is an odd for, for whatever reason almost every time or well every time I'm accompanied by one and only one. I have on occasion been, say, accompanied by, like, say, the small masculine gray, and we have watched the tall gray do something. But my guide or the entity accompanying me was the small masculine gray. I've never once been accompanied by two of the entities at once. I am always accompanied by only one entity at the same time. Do you get a, a sense that the, the mantid-type beings are, are connected to the greys? Is there some kind of hierarchy? Are they all part of the same sort of civilization? Yeah. How, how, does that, how does that work with the links? 100%. They, they, they explained it to me explicitly, yeah. Um, the greys told me, that they were created by the mantis entities. Um, the greys told me that the, so the greys, I'll just, I'll just kind of, I'll try, I'll try to lay out as much as I can, like just flat on the table for you. The, um, the greys job, they told me, is to um, help the evolution of souls. Um, so the reason they're here is because us as humans have souls. The implication being that we are not the only um, life forms in the universe with souls. But we do have souls. The greys are here to help our evolution, us, our, uh, this, uh, the evolution of our souls. They were created by the mantis entities. For this job, they are biological robots. In in more or less, um, there's not really a way for them for them to describe it to me other than that. But they do not reproduce. They are not a natural species. 
They are created biological entities designed to help the evolution of our souls. When we die, I have seen them manipulate human souls. I have witnessed what the human soul looks like on board their ships. Um, They have these little capsules that they keep them in. (laughs) They look like little, um, they almost look like, uh, they look like little strings of light dancing around and they manipulate what they tell me are human souls. And then they shoot them off into space to go to somewhere else. Sounds kind of crazy, but that's what they told me. The mantis entities. The mantis entities told me that um, their job is more or less to police this section of um, space. Um, They were not specific in terms of galaxy or anything like that. Um, There's a lot of things they aren't specific with. There's a lot of things they tell me not to worry about when I ask them. They're more or less cops. They police. Um, And this is... Occasionally... Um, either the greys or the mantises will tell me something that kind of disturbs me. And this is one of the things that kind of disturbed me. Um, when it came down to it and I finally found out, you know, they, I finally got, they finally got to the point what, what the mantises are doing. They told me that our job here is to police, police your section of where you live. Oh, and I said, okay, so what does that look like? And they said, well, we're here to make sure that, um, that you guys don't get the power to um, to travel off world and go muck up other planets and stuff. And meaning like, so that humankind doesn't achieve space travel on the level to where we can go on to other planets and like interact with other um, life forms. And that uh, really took me aback. And um, my immediate reaction was, one of um i rarely feel emotional up there they, there's some sort of blunting that takes place i don't believe it's i believe it's probably a protection it's something they do to me there's a blunting i was really taken aback and i, I was kind of like who you know who, who gives you the right to to place some limits on us to do that and they kind of put me in my place and and he said the, or I, I shouldn't say he the mantis said <laughs> the mantis said, listen, and um, showed, and they, there's this thing they can do where they, they, they put you in this, like, I guess the only way to say it, say it, it's like VR. They can make you live historical examples. I guess VR is the only way to say it, or like you feel like you're living history. They, they said, look, we've been around for, for eons. We've seen this shit happen. Like we've seen what happens when no one's when no one's around to police civilizations, like planets, solar systems are destroyed. It happens over and over and over again. We need to do this. Like and so that's what they do. That's what they told me they do. They said they're universe cops or whatever and so i said well like are there are are there other like whatever like 
police forces or whatever, like you guys around to make sure that no one gets too high up on the totem pole. And they said, yeah, but they're so far out. They're so far, they're so far away. Like, don't worry about it. Super that's a lot to take in, I know, but like that was that. But that's that, that's kind of like basically the the gist of it. Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're sort of coming up to um, uh, the hour mark there. Um, yeah, but just a couple more questions, if you're all right, just for a few more minutes. Absolutely. Sorry, sorry to lay that bomb on you, Frank. Right hey, at the man. End here. No, I don't worry. To get out there before we had to roll, though. Yeah. No, that that's absolutely fine. Really interesting to hear about. Uh, but what I was going to ask you is the um, did you get the impression that the Greys were um, created specifically for the purpose of interacting with humans specifically because perhaps they have some sort of resemblance to humans, and if the 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 mantis beings wanted to interact with you know a completely different life form they would they would create a specific sort of like mm. you know creation to interact with them which perhaps looks similar to them that's an interesting question but no i did not get that impression my impression was that the greys were created by the mantis beings to do this job for life forms all across whatever span of space and time they work Mm. yeah and uh, also i was wondering the the actual location of the craft itself um, yeah have, is that sort of like in earth's orbit or is it in some kind mm. of location which doesn't necessarily have like a physical space that's a, that's a great question um so, so the the mantis the mantis ship i've never been able to look out a window or anything like that um the great the gray ship they put they Actually, the first handful of times I went up there, they put me in this like weird, like, I, I called it a waiting room, but really they just put me in front of this window. Like I had to wait for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe to acclimate myself to the environment, even though I was in an astral. Anyways, and I would look down on Earth. We were in like Earth orbit, right? And it wasn't until like the third or fourth time when I was looking down on like earth as I'm just waiting for them to like, you know, let quote, let me in or like turn me around so I can interact with them. It wasn't until the third or fourth time when like the cloud cover dispersed. And I realized that we were like float. We were like above Japan. Yeah. We were in earth or earth, earth orbit. Yeah. We were in earth orbit. However, at a later date, they did show me that um, that what I had assumed was a window is actually just a screen. So that actually that screen can display anything independent of where the ship is located. So I'm not, so to tell you the truth, I'm not certain if that ship is actually <laughs> above Japan or not, because later that was just, you know, what I thought was a window turned out to be a screen. Mm. 
Well, I've got to say, man, ab- absolutely uh, fascinating to talk to you. And um, there's so many more questions. We could probably go for a few more hours, but obviously we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll think that's that's enough uh, for one day. But we'll I'd, I'd, save it I'd, for another day, yeah. I was going to say, I'd love to have you back on at some point, And I'd love to hear about, you said that you're kind of picking these experiences back up again now. I'd love to yeah. speak to you down the line and hear about how you get on um, going forward. I'd love to, Frank. Absolutely. I'm sorry for droning on. There's a lot to talk about. But yeah, I'm happy to talk about this anytime with you, man. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, brilliant, man. No need to apologize. You've not droned on at all. Absolutely uh, brilliant to hear about it all. Like I say, in that much detail, that, that's exactly what I wanted. And I'm sure the listeners will uh, will really appreciate it. I know there's been a few uh, people that have been excited to hear from you. So um, thank you very much. Thank you been a pleasure thanks for having me on frank cool man we'll speak soon thanks a lot man yeah take care UFO Podcast.